Well, it's impeachment to the fiasco. And I say that because it's totally unnecessary. Uh, you've heard me uh, bloviate about that before. Certainly my opinion. Uh, others disagree. Um, but if you look at the big picture, and we'll get into that, this is not a good thing for the United States of America. So we'll begin with what happened today um, on the first day of impeachment, too. There was a debate on whether it's unconstitutional. Uh, that's already been voted upon. 55-45 uh, in the Senate says it is constitutional, but that's not what the senators do. They're not in charge of what's constitutional or not. Supreme Court, federal courts are. Now, the big uh, hint was the chief justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts, that I'm not going to preside over this, and he didn't. He scooted, even though the Constitution says he's supposed to be the presiding judge in the proceeding. No Roberts, he doesn't want any part of it. Then the next in line was Kamala Harris, the vice president. Kamala, I don't want to do it. Now that's fascinating, isn't it? Kamala Harris could have been grandstanding, could have been there at impeachment to the fiasco. No, because the wiser heads in the Democratic Party know this is an exercise in hatred. That's all it is. That's why you're not seeing President Biden cheering for this. Oh, I'll let the Senate handle it. You know, they don't want to be associated with the hatred. They being the Democratic leadership. Now, how does that square with Schumer and Pelosi? They're partisan players. The overall hierarchy, of the Democratic Party, which emanates from the Obamas, all right, Barack and Michelle, they don't really want to be tied in. They don't discourage this. They like impeachment, too, because the goal of it is to humiliate President Trump as much as possible and to marginalize anyone who might have supported President Trump, and that could be you, all right? Anybody who sticks up for him, anybody who voted for him, you guys are fringe players because look at how evil he is. So that's what the setup for it is. Now today, as I said, it's all about whether it's constitutional or not. Okay, fine. You got more Democrats than Republicans. You got a few Republicans who hate Trump and they'll go along with this, but it doesn't really matter. Now tomorrow and the next day, all right, Wednesday, Thursday, each side has 16 hours to present its case on whether Donald Trump should be convicted by the Senate of a high crime or misdemeanor. Okay, are you going to listen to 16 hours of that? I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I can't. I just can't. I know what they're going to say. I know the grandstanding. Uh, I'm not going to be a part of it. I'll report it because luckily I have producers <laughs> who are getting well paid to watch it. I can't. I mean, maybe a smidgen here and there, but it's just, to me, it's crazy. So Wednesday, Thursday, 16 hours each side. Whether they take it or not, I don't care. And then they could call witnesses, but I don't think they will. So the vote will probably be next Monday, uh, the 15th of February, and Donald Trump will most likely be acquitted. So uh, today... It was interesting. I didn't think, I told my staff in the morning meeting, I don't think the networks are going to take this. They did. CBS, NBC, and ABC blew out their daytime programming, and they took uh, the opening salvos of impeachment, too. 
I, you know, they all don't like Trump. I understand that. Because people aren't going to sit through this. Regular folks aren't going to sit through it. Um, there were two sound bites I'm going to run you, and only two. Um, only for uh, repertorial purposes. So the Democrats in the Senate, they want to get off to a powerful start. So they put together a highlight reel of the Capitol attack. Go. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down to the Capitol. Okay, they edited out uh, the Democrats, and this is just beyond the pale. They edited out, we're going to walk down peacefully. So they cut that out of the president's speech. Now, that is deception at the highest level. No more needs to be said about it. So the entire Democratic Party should be ashamed. So it's now a propaganda outfit. The entire party. That was put together by Senate Democrats. And they edited it out. Now, I'm not sticking up for Donald Trump. In fact, I'm going to hit him now. I'm going to hit the president now. But this kind of deceit, this kind of dishonesty, is the hallmark of our political culture now. The hallmark of it. And our country is so much worse off now that we don't have any honesty at the highest levels. All right. So um, there is a congressman from Rhode Island named David Sisulini. I don't know David Sisulini. I don't know him. Um, but he made an argument that is probably the strongest argument to convict Donald Trump. Roll it. But we also know how President Trump himself felt about the attack. He told us. Here's what he tweeted at 6.01. As the Capitol was in shambles and as dozens of police officers and other law enforcement officers lay battered and bruised and bloodied. Here's what he said. These are the things and events that happen when a sacred landslide election victory is so unceremoniously and viciously stripped away from great patriots who have been badly and unfairly treated for so long. Go home with love and in peace. Remember this day forever. Okay, so I told Donald Trump myself, um, you know, I've had a half dozen discussions in the past four years with him, maybe a half dozen. I said, you have to understand your words can come back to haunt you, Mr. President, because you're not a businessman anymore. You're a president. So you got to be very careful about what you say and what you tweet. Mr. Trump never took my advice, ever. And he speaks and tweets emotionally, emotionally. First thing comes up, boom, boom, boom. Rather than, you know, taking a half hour to look at it, maybe I can design this artfully, whatever it may be. It is true 
that President Trump did not recognize the gravity of the attack on the Capitol. That is true. While it was happening, he was caught up in, well, how is this going to influence um, the certification of the vote? That's what was in a, his mind. It wasn't, this is appalling, this can't happen in America, okay? And I know that to be true because I was privy to some of the discussions that were going on in the White House while this Capitol attack was taking place. President Trump was mesmerizing, as we all were, watching this thing. But he didn't properly put it into context, and therefore he tweeted that. And it looks bad. It looks like he didn't get the essence that this was a criminal act and should never, ever have happened. So that's the most powerful argument to impeach him. But that's not what the charges are. The charges are that he fostered the so-called insurrection, that he was behind it. That's not what happened. Okay, and I can I'm going to prove it in a moment. One more comment on the initial uh, editing process where the Democrats put in all of this horrible stuff about police and all of that. That was done by anarchists. There were two main groups of people who stormed the Capitol. There were the Trump supporters, the fervent Trump supporters. Okay, then there were the anarchists a lot of them on the far right, who disrespect police all the time, who want to break down our system. Now, we see that uh, most of the time on the far left, the Antifa people. But there are elements of anarchy on the far right as well. So they took that, um, they, the Democrats, and then put that out as like representing uh, what the pro-Trump point of view is, which again, that's propaganda. Editing out the president's peaceful words was a rank lie and deception. Okay, so the charges uh, fomenting insurrection, um, but the FBI, and we researched this thoroughly, so I'm going to be very precise. On January 5th, okay, the FBI office in Norfolk, Virginia, issued an explicit warning that extremists were preparing to travel to Washington to commit violence and war. That's a quote, okay, one day before the Capitol attack. Now, if the contention is that the president's speech, which is what this is, and they actually used it on the day of the attack, was an encouragement that this FBI report blows that right out of the water. That coupled with the exculpatory comments that President Trump made that day, January 6th, that we're going to march over there peacefully and patriotically, which the Democrats, again, this is the fourth time I'm telling you that, cut out, that it's over. Any, any court, civil, criminal, would, that it's over. You can't prove your case. But you don't have to prove it. Democrats know they're going to lose. They know Donald Trump's not going to be convicted in the Senate. They already know that. Again, it's to diminish him and anyone who might support him. It's all about hate. It's what it's about. And it's a, and you get you know, people overseas watching this and, you know, saying, what is this America? What is this United States? What does it come to there? That, that's what they're saying. Everything is expensive these days, you know that. The government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices 
higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money, your retirement, your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. Start with a short phone call, and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Okay, so uh, I'm pleased to bring a uh, guest in who has a brand new book. It's called Inside, Unmasked, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. Uh, and he knows the author. He's coming to us from London, England. Now, you may know Mr. No, because he was the primary reporter on the Portland, Oregon riots caused by Antifa. They attacked him, beat him up, um, almost killed him. Uh, he knows more about the organization than anybody I know. Now, I have read his book. I took the time to read the entire book. And it is a, it's an excellent book. If you really want to know what's going on here, uh, Unmasked, you should read it. And it's, in, it's very well documented. It's not one of these CNN, well, sources close to say, everybody's named, document right down to the lowest level. All right, first question, Andy, and thanks for helping us out over in London. Um, what's the difference, in your opinion, between Antifa and Proud Boys? Uh, well, the ideologies are completely different. I do think it's fair to describe the Proud Boys as extreme because several of their members have been um, convicted of uh, criminal activities before, and currently they're under investigation for alleged role in what happened on the uh, in the Capitol on the 6th of January. Um, and Antifa, on the other hand, um, they're much more, they're harder for people to understand because they operate as cells that are connected um, by networks. And a lot of these groups and cells don't even have Antifa in the name. So there's always plausible deniability in their actions. So for example, I document quite meticulously in the book, the actions that they carried out in American cities last year. And then my detractors would, detractors would turn around and say, how do you know this is Antifa? Just because uh, they're dressed in this particular way, just because they say certain things, how do you know it's Antifa? So they, you know, they just, they're organized in a way that gives them this ability to sort of deny that they even exist. Okay, but there's and enough of them in Portland and Seattle and other cities that say we are, I mean, they're admitting it. They use social media to organize, though. They still use social media to say, we're going to be here. You might want to show up there, don't they? 
Yes, they do. So one question I get asked a lot is how can we actually stop them? Well, first, big tech needs to step up. And if they're going to talk about rooting out uh, violent extremist groups and groups that organize violence, well, they can't say that if they're only going to go after one side and allow Antifa to organize. So much of the riots that happened in Portland last year actually were organized on Twitter, for example. They were promoted and shared uh, hundreds and thousands of times every day. A new flyer was coming out that gave information for where people could meet. Um, they, people were also creating like GoFundMe accounts, creating uh, accounts on Cash App and Venmo to raise hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars to cover everything from riot gear, accommodation, travel, weapons, um, etc. So big tech is, um, they're part of the problem here. Okay, so they use that as their primary communications form. Um, you have an interesting uh, chapter in the book, again, the book is named Unmasked, where you link up Black Lives Matter Global Foundation with Antifa. Do you think they work together? They do work together. If you go to any BLM protest over the past few years, you'll see Antifa volunteering as security. And the DC chapter of Black Lives Matter, which is one of the largest in the US, their social media, their official verified Twitter account has all these posts throughout last year calling for their supporters to come support Antifa at their various events. Um, these two movements are different in that they have different origins and different ultimate agendas, but they have a partnership now because they share a mutual enemy in the United States. BLM makes no secret of their desire to um, uh, uh, dis dismantle the criminal justice system, to abolish police, to abolish capitalism, to abolish the traditional family. These are all the things that they have in common with Antifa. Okay. Um, did you see in the course of your research any media organization, national or local in Portland or Seattle, that covered Antifa properly, fact-based, uh, really let the folks know what was going on? Uh, by and large, no. So Antifa had um, became a mainstream phenomenon starting in 2016 because of their the useful idiots in the legacy media and the mainstream media and entertainment and culture who actually think that these violent extremists are anti-fascist. And so we were getting um, exposed day in and day out to this propaganda that um, the election of Trump signaled um, ascendant American fascism, that we were on the cusp of another Holocaust. So it gave a lot of legitimacy for Antifa's violent actions to move from the fringe far left straight into the mainstream left to the point of where you see Democrats um, deny, uh, denying the violence of Antifa, refusing to denounce them. Uh, some don't even recognize that Antifa exists. Um, but journalism, I would say, has done the most damage because it's put into the minds of people that Antifa are merely uh, anti-fascists who are opposing neo-Nazis and the far right, rather than um, anarchist communists who are trying to destabilize uh, parts of the United States 
through acts of domestic terrorism, such as setting fires to government buildings where people are inside, bringing sure. knives and homemade explosives yeah, and they beat, to their riots. They beat, you, they beat you up, and that's a harrowing part of your book. You know, I used to work at Portland at Channel 2, KTU-TV. Uh, when I was there, this never the coverage never would have been done. I mean, obviously, I would have covered it, and I would have covered it hard. Um, why did Antifa choose Portland and Seattle to really um, make their stand in those cities? Um, Portland, I think, became the epicenter of American Antifa because of its unique place as a political left-wing monoculture. So, and it's a smaller-sized city, so everybody on city council, all the mayors, and the really the entire populace are really probably further to the left than mainstream Democrats in that you'll see like the Democratic Socialist America, um, a lot of their activism. Uh, and so when there's no counterpoise in this city, in these areas like Portland and Seattle, there's no um, mechanism for Democrats and progressives to actually moderate. They're always constantly being pushed further to the left by the radicals in the city. Do the police, do the police in Portland and Seattle despise Antifa? Um, well, they've been injured by the hundreds by Antifa, and um, I have a lot of sympathy for the beat cops. But when it comes to um, why police are feckless, it, it's really because of poor leadership coming from above. Uh, Portland's political structure is also part of the issue in that our mayor yeah. is also the police commissioner. Yeah, Wheeler and, and so, all that. And the DA doesn't prosecute there, the district attorney of Multnomah County and all that. So they're pretty much getting what they deserve out in Portland and Seattle. I mean, if you're going to be this uh, hospitable to a violent anarchist group, this is what you're going to get. Final question. You got a new book. It's a good book. Are you having uh, any trouble booking yourself on CBS, ABC, NBC, these kinds of places? Oh, they won't even care to have me on. Um, CNN is, is the only left of center station that ever had me on, and that was after I was beaten in 2019. And even when my face was all bruised and scabbed up, uh, I was asked some questions that sort of framed me as the aggressor in some way, in my opinion. So your publisher can't get you on Good Morning America, the Today Show, those kinds of things? No, it's because uh, the legacy media is not interested in the accesses from their own side. Yep. Fox News? Fox News, I've been on, thankfully. Yeah. Okay. All right, Andy, good luck with it. We really appreciate it. You know, stay strong. Continue the good reporting. We need it. All right, National Guard is still in Washington. It's costing the taxpayer about $500 million so far since January to keep them there. People ask me who's in charge of that. The Pentagon is in charge of that. Um, the District of Columbia is run by the federal government. So 5,000 troops remain. They're not needed, but President Obama wants them. That President Obama, President Biden, that's a Freudian slip if there ever was one, President Biden wants the guard there because this sends a message that far right kooks are dangerous. That's why they're there. But it's costing the, the taxpayer. We're up to five hundred million dollars in guard costs. Amazing, huh? It really is. Uh, really is what's happening to this country. Uh, finally, um, the 
Pentagon is looking for extremist people in the military, as they should. As they should. You don't want military people with firearms, perhaps on the front lines of Iraq and Afghanistan, who are Klansmen or communists or Antifa or Proud Boys. You don't want that. All right. That's not what they're supposed to do. The military is apolitical. Now, here's something fascinating that we found. All right. Current military rules permit troops to join extremist organizations. You could join Proud Boys or Antifa if you're active military, as long as they become active members. So you can't go out and demonstrate with the Proud Boys or Antifa. And obviously you can't break the law. Okay. But there's no prohibition about you signing up for some extremist group. Isn't that interesting? I did not know that. So uh, all of this, again, is propaganda coming out. Uh, and the press, forget it. You're not going to get any honest reporting, which is why you're listening and watching to me tonight. Okay, so are we all up to speed on this uh, hate fest going on with impeachment too? I think I've covered it fairly. If you don't think I have, please write to me immediately. Bill at BillOReilly.com. Bill at BillOReilly.com. Because tomorrow we're going to use a lot of mail. we got some tonight too, but... If you don't think I'm fair and covering this accurately, I want to know. Because I think I'm giving you the best coverage that exists on the impeachment too in the country. And again, if you see somebody giving better coverage than me, please tell me because I want to watch or read it. All right, President Biden. One of the things that's going to come back to bite the president is his immigration open border policy. So we're going to have a decline in the economy under President Biden. Mark my words. It's not going to happen initially because once the COVID vaccine um, is widespread, then people will get back in the workplace. Uh, jobs will uh, come back to some extent, but it's shaky. It's tenuous. And with Biden spending this enormous amount of money and raising taxes on everybody, you're already spending more on gasoline and heating, as we reported. That's going to hurt. So this open border policy of letting everybody in here to claim asylum, which is what this is, it's going to come back to bite President Biden hard. That and the economy, I think, is going to doom his administration. I could be wrong. But my analysis says these are the two areas that he's going to have problems with. So just to refresh your memory. All right. The president uh, has signed a bunch of executive orders, making it far easier for illegal aliens. I know I'm not supposed to say that undocumented people, undocumented migrants. That's what they are. OK, to ensure that refugees and asylum seekers, that's two different categories, refugees and asylum seekers have access to legal avenues in the USA. So you get here, you put one foot in Arizona, New Mexico, or Texas, you get all the rights of an American citizen, according to Joe Biden. All right, everything. So uh, Mr. Biden has ordered that the federal government will collaborate with regional partners to provide protection and opportunities to asylum seekers and migrants who get here. Now, if you're a person living in Honduras, all you need to do is see that, and you're coming. 
I'm going to get all the rights. I'm going to get health care. I'm going to get everything. All right, Joe Biden. Also, uh, Mr. Biden has ordered the federal government to design uh, immigrant programs that promote integration and inclusion. Also, on January 20th, he said sanctuary cities can do whatever they want. And he rescinded President Trump's executive order 13768 that threatened to punish sanctuary cities. Now, sanctuary cities can do whatever they want. Don't have to cooperate on immigration law at all. Um, finally, uh, the president ordered on February 4th to rebuild and enhance programs to resettle refugees. That means if you get here one foot on our soil, the federal government's going to pay to send you wherever you want to go. Wherever you want to go, you can go at taxpayer expense. This is unbelievable. It is unbelievable. And as you know, the border wall construction is stopped. It isn't being torn down yet, but this is an open border policy. Please come here. All right. Now, if I were interviewing Joe Biden, he couldn't stand up to my questioning like, what the deuce are you doing? We cannot afford to assimilate 10, 20 million people who come here illegally. Do you not understand that, Mr. President? Uh, Aunt Jemima, gone, as you know. Uh, now we have a new uh, pancake thing. Pearl Milling Company put a, a water mill on its, uh, on its cover. Okay. I gave up sugar, so that's not going to be in my house, but I uh, thought you'd like to know. Mark Cuban owns the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, no more national anthem uh, before the games, according to Mr. Cuban. However, um, late today, the, uh, the NBA said, uh-uh, national anthem has to be played before every game. So Mark Cuban gets smacked down. We asked Mark to come on. I've known him for a long time. He was respectful to us, but it said, no, not coming up against me any time soon. And the reason that Cuban didn't want the national anthem is because his players. You know, I mean, the league is very, very African-American centric um, and very social justice oriented. And the owners, they don't want to go up against that. And the National Anthem, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> That's the opposite of uh, social justice? I don't think so. Um, there is a group called the Federation for American Immigration Reform, FAIR. Did a study. I cannot vouch for the study. I'll just give you the stats. All right. The group says that there are 14 and a half undocumented people living in the USA right now. 14 and a half million and 5 million anchor babies, babies that were uh, conceived by the undocumented parents who are American citizens, because that's the anchor baby thing. If you're born on this soil, you are automatically an American citizen. The group says it costs the United States one hundred and thirty four billion dollars a year to. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? $134 billion goes to the care, the aid, the adjudication of the undocumented. And 60% of those undocumented, according to FAIR, overstay their visas. So most of them don't sneak across the border. 
COVID school update, Chicago finally going to go back. All right. After all this time, they're going back. Teachers are going back. But the teachers union guy doesn't like it. Jesse Sharkey says the plan is not what any of us deserve. Okay, Jesse. But they got scared. She said Chicago might do something. I don't think it would, but it might. Philadelphia, no. Not going back. Nope. No way. Uh, Here's the absurd quote of the day. This is from Thomas Friedman, a columnist for the New York Times. He's talking about how bad America is, as usual. That's Mr. Friedman's uh, constant theme. He says, quote, I'll tell you something that they, the Chinese communists, weren't thinking about in China this week. They weren't thinking about some knucklehead. That's President Trump. They weren't spending the week thinking about a knucklehead who claimed 9-11 didn't happen. This is, I guess, the QAnon stuff. They weren't thinking about some guy who was a QAnon shaman. He was a guy who broke into the Capitol. They were probably thinking about some bad stuff with the Uyghurs and all of that. But I guarantee they weren't wasting their time on this nonsense. So Friedman basically saying that, that, you know, the Chinese, they're kind of better than we are as far as how they do public policy. So in China, the Muslims are in concentration camps. All right. The people who want to discuss the danger of covid are in prison. Um, If you get out of line like Jimmy Lee, the capitalist, you are arrested, charged and imprisoned. But Tom Friedman, hey, we're a lot worse here. (laughs) New York Times, everyone. Yeah. I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. Quick poll from the Associated Press. The question was, how well would you say democracy is working in the USA? Um, Not well. Democracy, not well. 46 percent. 46 percent, almost half the population think democracy is not working well. But that makes perfect sense because both sides, it's all about Trump. This poll is all about Trump. Those who uh, like Trump and think the election was taken away from him, they don't think democracy is working well. They think the election was rigged. Those who hate Trump are still angry he was elected in the first place. So perfect storm of democracy is not working well. The truth is that democracy does work well, but we have very poor leadership in this country and a corrupt media. You combine poor leadership with a corrupt media, temporarily, democracy is like this, temporarily. COVID update. All right, 6-3 ruling from the Supreme Court says that the state of California cannot close down churches. But they upheld the California law. You cannot sing if you go to church. So singing takes the coronavirus and you have to take the mask off, I guess, to sing. I'm not sure. But California was closing down churches, saying, mm, can't go. Supreme Court 63 said no. 
25% you can limit it to. You can't, you don't say anything you can ban, but they have to be able to go. Now, interestingly enough, the three judges that would have knocked out the churches completely are Kagan, Breyer, and Sotomayor. These are the liberal activists on the court. So you know, there are three liberal activists. The three conservative, I'm not sure whether I call them activists, but they're firm, conservative, Thomas Gorsuch and Alito, all wanted to let the churches do whatever they wanted. And the middle three, Roberts, Kavanaugh, and Coney Barrett, they said, you got to open the churches, but we'll uphold you can't sing. Interesting ruling. All right, in California, uh, now uh, the governor, Gavin Newsom, is going to be on a ballot, and we're trying to figure out when uh, the best estimate we get is between mid-August and late September. They're going to have a vote in California to remove Newsom from office. That's going to happen. They only need less than a million signatures by St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. It's going to happen. Already a bunch of people wanting to be governor of California. I don't know why anybody would want that job. It's very impossible. Um, But that's the situation there. San Francisco is suing. The city of San Francisco is suing its own school district to open up the classrooms. I love this. So this is far left versus far left. Remember Spy versus Spy, that cartoon? This is far left. The city of San Francisco is suing its own school board to open the schools. And private lawsuit may sue the city of San Francisco for knocking out Names on the schools like Abraham Lincoln and George Washington. Chicago, the schools may open Thursday, maybe, possibly, because the school, the unions still don't want to open. Why? Because the teachers' unions want their members to teach from home. They get paid the same amount of money. They don't have to go anywhere. It's much easier for them, and the students be damned. All right, I don't have time to do the five crazy colleges uh, courses. Uh, but we will do it tomorrow. We put this off a couple of times. It's worth doing. We'll do it tomorrow. Um, this day in history, February 8th, 1887, President Grover Cleveland signs the Dawes Act. This was horrible. Cleveland was a bad guy when it came to Native Americans. So up until 1887, if you read Killing Crazy Horse, you know this, most Indians were on reservations run by themselves. The Native Americans ran the reservations. They had Indian agents, but they were in charge. So Cleveland gets behind the Dawes Act, which takes all the Indian land away from them and gives individual Native Americans 80 acres for each man. And boys got 40 acres. Women didn't get anything. Okay, but the government then takes these huge tracts of Indian land. The Dawes Act. Ridiculous. Horrible. Okay, then in 1934, under FDR, the Wheeler Howard Act changed all that which is why you have Native Americans in charge of the reservations now, we can all go gamble. Because that's their territory. If they want to have gambling on it, they can. So that's this day in history. Grover Cleveland, bad guy, February 8th, 1887. Okay, go to com store. We have everything that you could possibly want, including the best mug in the world, Stand Up For Your Country. We also have, we're getting behind to publicize, the free speech movement. They have a new website, speech movement, one word, speechmovement.org. Check them out. We got to get this freedom of speech movement up and running to counter the cancel people. Writing to us and not be a visigoth, V-I-S-I-G-O-T-H, great word. 
interesting group. So quick break, back with the final thought. Um, we're not going to do mail tonight because, uh, to be honest, and I always am with you, I forgot the mail. <laughs> I have it, but it's downstairs, so I'm not going to do I'm tight on time, and I want to get into this final thought about buying stuff on the Internet, okay? Uh, because everybody does it, and uh, things are not going well in some precincts. We'll be right back with that. Okay, here is the final thought of the day. So I don't like to uh, go shopping. And even when the stores were open, you didn't have to wear the mask. And I, 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 this is the God's honest truth. I walk into a store, there's really nothing there that I want. I'm not a materialist. I, I have, I'm so lucky to have pretty much everything I need to have in this life. I have nice clothes, I have food, I have a, a dog, I, I have dog food. Um, and, and I have people that go shopping for me. <laughs> Doesn't that sound terrible? But I have people in the payroll because I don't have time really to go. Sometimes I do to buy certain things, but most of the time I have other people pick up my groceries and stuff like that. I know that sounds horrible, but it's just a matter of time. And plus, I, I pay a pretty nice buck for people to do that. So they're happy to do it because they're making money. Anyway. So now, once in a while, I will see something on the Internet, and I will order on the Internet a product. Unfortunately, I am six foot four, um, 215 pounds, with a 36-inch waist and long legs. It's hard to fit me. So every time I buy clothes on the Internet, i got to send them back. So I don't do that anymore. But one of the things that I do do is that in our business, remember, I am the CEO of BillOReilly.com. I run the show, and it's such a relief that I don't have to work for corporations anymore. Such a relief. Um, I am the CEO, and I reward people who help us. And I think that's good business. And usually I would send them a basket from Harry and David. All right, you know those people? They send catalogs in the mail, and you just pick up the phone and say, I want this catalog sent to this address. Now, I literally spend thousands of dollars on Harry and David's stuff, sending people little baskets of, uh, I try to make it healthy food, but whatever it is, Harry and David has a pretty good selection. And up until last week, I was pretty happy with Harry and David. But let me tell you what happened. So I, I had a guy do me a major favor, and it was a business favor. So I, uh, I ordered a basket, nice basket, to send to the guy. Thought it was fine, right? I've been a Harry and David customer, and they have my name in, the, in their little uh, computer system. It has a lot of money. Bill O'Reilly spends a lot of money. All right. So I don't hear from the guy from two weeks. And I said, that's weird. Usually people will email me and text me, thanks for the basket. Da, da, da. You know, that almost always happens. And I hear from him. So then I had my assistant call Harry and David. And Harry and David goes, oh, we didn't send it. We didn't send it. And I went, why? Oh, I guess it was a mistake. So I go, well, oh, that's bad. You know, I, this is a business thing. And that's where they go, well, we'll give you money back. I go, well, no, I don't think so. Not with all the money I spend with you. This hurt me, hurt my business. And I would have never have known it. You didn't contact me 
and say the basket wasn't sent. You didn't do that. I had a check. And they go, too bad. (laughs) Too bad? So the CEO is a guy named Stephen Lightman. And before I went on the air, I, I, I wanted to give the guy a chance because I don't usually do this. You know that. Uh, so we called Stephen Lightman just to say, you know, do you want to write this wrong? Wouldn't take the call. I will never buy anything from Harry and David again, ever, because if they would do this to me, a guy who spends thousands of dollars with them, they'll do it for anyone, to anyone. All right. Harry and David. See you tomorrow.